Good Friday morning, an overnight verdict in a major case from Wall Street. One of the largest financial frauds in history. It is November 3rd. Good morning. This is Today. Stunning downfall. The self-proclaimed king of crypto found guilty. The jury taking just four hours to seal his fate in a multi-billion dollar fraud scheme, the biggest since Bernie Madoff. This kind of corruption is as old as time and we have no patience for it. This morning, the decades behind bars, Sam Bankman-Fried now faces and what it means for the future of crypto. Breaking overnight on a mission. The Secretary of State back in Israel this morning reaffirming U.S. support, but bearing words of restraint as the carnage in Gaza grows. We're live in Israel and Washington. Graphic testimony, new evidence revealed at the trial of a Texas yoga instructor charged in the murder of her romantic rival. How prosecutors say she used a fitness app to stalk her alleged victim. Welcome relief after a week of record cold. Much of the nation set to enjoy a warm weekend. Al's got everything you need to know. Those stories, plus turning back time. Most Americans getting set to enjoy an extra hour of sleep this weekend. And the perennial debate over daylight saving right on time, where the push to end it stands this morning. Today, Friday, November 3rd, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Oda Cuppy. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. We got there. It's Friday. Nice to have you with us. It's a busy one, too. The Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, returning to Israel and this morning pushing for a series of brief pauses in military operations in Gaza. Yeah, the goal there, allowing for the safe release of hostages and the delivery of humanitarian aid to Gaza. We have a live report from that region straight ahead. But we're going to begin with one of the biggest cases of financial fraud in U.S. history. Former cryptocurrency mogul Sam Bankman-Fried found guilty of stealing billions from investors in what's being called the biggest case since Bernie Madoff. His company, FTX, becoming very big in a very short amount of time, even appearing in Super Bowl commercials. And while for a lot of people, understanding crypto is kind of like understanding a foreign language, as one of the prosecutors put it following the verdict, the cryptocurrency industry might be new. The players like Bankman-Fried may be new, but this kind of fraud, this kind of corruption is as old as time. NBC senior legal correspondent Laura Jarrett here with the details this morning on a pretty quick verdict. Laura, good morning to you. Savannah Hoda, good morning to you. This entire case moving at lightning speed from the very beginning. His company going belly up almost exactly one year ago. And after only a couple weeks of trial, the jury returning its verdict after only four hours of deliberations. This morning, Sam Bankman-Fried wants the face of cryptocurrency's success, now convicted of stealing billions of dollars. The cryptocurrency industry might be new, but this kind of fraud, this kind of corruption is as old as time. A federal jury in Manhattan taking little time to find Bankman-Fried guilty of all seven counts, including wire fraud, conspiracy and money laundering. The 31-year-old founded FTX in 2019, quickly turning it into one of the largest exchanges of digital currency in the world, courting celebrity endorsers, including stars like Tom Brady. What's up, guys? I'm here with my boy Sam from FTX. But his crypto empire, once valued at $32 billion, collapsed. A leaked document spooking investors, forcing the company into bankruptcy, with more than one million people losing money, some their life savings. I screwed up. Like, 
I was CEO. I had a responsibility. That means that I was responsible. We, we messed up big. Federal prosecutors saying Bankman Freed misappropriated billions of dollars using customer funds from FDX to loan money to his crypto hedge fund, Alameda Research, in an effort to hide bad investments, purchase luxury real estate, and pay for a multi-million dollar ad campaign that aired during the Super Bowl. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. Bankman-Fried pled not guilty, taking the stand in his own defense, but the jury also heard devastating testimony from his three top lieutenants, who pled guilty and cooperated with prosecutors, including his ex-girlfriend, the former CEO of Alameda. Thursday's ruling marking the end of Bankman-Fried's reign as the king of crypto, as he's now facing the rest of his life behind bars. It's a warning, this case, to every single fraudster out there who thinks that they're untouchable. Lawyers for Bankman-Fried say they're disappointed with the jury's verdict. Obviously, his team signaling they will very likely appeal. This case now moves to sentencing in March, guys. And serious jail time, potentially, but these aren't the only legal troubles he's facing. He is in a heap of trouble. He faces a second trial, also supposed to start in March, allegedly uh, trying to bribe Chinese Chinese business officials, as well as uh, contributing illegal campaign donations. So that's Mm -hmm. all happening, and as well as a bunch of civil suits about people trying to get their money back. Okay. Laura, thank you very much. Also breaking overnight, Secretary of State Antony Blinken making his third trip to Israel since the Hamas attacks that started this war. It comes on the heels of President Biden's call for a humanitarian pause and a growing push to free more hostages. We have complete coverage. We're going to start with NBC's chief foreign correspondent, Richard Engel, who's with us from Jerusalem. Hey, Richard, good morning. Good morning, Hoda. Secretary Blinken is really trying to thread a needle, expressing a continued American support for Israel's fight, its war against Hamas, while also pushing for concrete steps to protect Palestinian civilians. Secretary Blinken arrived in Israel on a mission to slow this war down, pushing for humanitarian pauses to allow more aid into Gaza, buy time to free hostages held by Hamas, and maybe for cooler heads to emerge. The timing is critical. The Israeli military says its forces have finished encircling Gaza City and are in street battles. A push into the city could be extraordinarily violent. Israel is already losing troops and has outlined no clear exit strategy or long-term plan. In Gaza, Hamas seems happy to pull Israel into a long-term guerrilla war, no matter what the consequences for the people of Gaza. Our crew watched as Abu Abdullah returned to the Jabalia refugee camp, poor and crowded before the war, and now being flattened by Israeli strikes. He came to apologize to his family under the rubble, and he couldn't do more to help them. I'm sorry I couldn't help you, he says. He adds a prayer and says to God, I can't take it anymore. After hours of digging, one daughter, 12-year-old Lian, is found. He begs people to look for his youngest son, Aboud, who he'd promised to send to nursery school. He keeps apologizing to Lian as he carries her back to neighbors so he can search for his other daughter, three sons and wife. No one was found alive. Anger, rage and hopelessness help Hamas recruit in Gaza. There's rage across Israel, too, after Hamas butchered 1,400 Israelis and took more than 240 hostages, including the disabled and children. According to human rights groups and the UN, extremist Jewish settlers in the West Bank are taking advantage of the war to attack Palestinians to take their land. 
Eliana and Khalil Basir were collecting olives in the West Bank. He's 77. She's 69. They're Christians. The couple says Jewish settlers last week attacked them without provocation. Khalil told me one of the settlers grabbed him in the groin. He was then hit repeatedly with a heavy stick. Khalil never called the police. They don't do anything, he says. They don't even answer. A new UN report said that settler violence has increased significantly since the October 7th attack and that in nearly half the cases, Israeli security forces supported or accompanied the attackers. Savannah. All right, Richard, thank you for more perspective on the Biden administration's approach to the war. I want to turn to Kristen Welker, moderator of Meet the Press. And Kristen, obviously the secretary's trip is coming on the heels of the White House talking about the president saying there should be a pause in the war. I mean, the language here is so delicate. You've seen some Democratic senators, some lawmakers starting to say perhaps there should be a pause or even a ceasefire. So how are they walking this line of, of you know, support for Israel, but also recognizing the carnage in Gaza? Well, Savannah, good morning. You're absolutely right to point that out. In fact, before Secretary Blinken left for his trip, the White House clarified that while President Biden was calling for a pause in the fighting. He wasn't announcing a new policy, but rather making it clear that in order to get more hostages out, to get more aid into Gaza, as Richard was just talking about, a temporary pause, not an all-out ceasefire, as some are calling for, but a temporary pause would be necessary. Now, this will be a fine line for Secretary Blinken to walk. He's expected to call for a humanitarian pause while also expressing support for Israel. It's a message that comes as the death toll in Gaza is mounting, as the humanitarian crisis is worsening. Now, look, what's not clear is how long of a pause is the administration actually asking for from Israel? What's also notable here, three current and former administration officials tell NBC News there's real concern the U.S. could become more isolated on the world stage or even blamed for the way Israel carries out its war because of President Biden's close alignment with Israel. So it really all adds to and underscores the high stakes for Secretary Blinken right now. Savannah. And meanwhile, as we know, the White House has asked for uh, a huge military aid package for both Ukraine and for Israel. And we saw the House pass essentially an Israel-only aid plan with tied to some budget cuts. So where does that stand? How does this all lay out? It's still an open question. The package that the House passed that you talked about last night is largely symbolic, Savannah. As you said, it ties aid to Israel to cuts to the IRS. And it allows the newly installed House Speaker Mike Johnson to basically send a message. He wants to prioritize cutting the debt. But Democrats in the Senate are calling this a non-starter because, as you just said, Democrats and many Republicans do want any aid package to include more funding for Ukraine and also the border. Now, there's a growing opposition among some Republicans to approving more aid to Ukraine. Those opponents argue, look, the U.S. has already given Ukraine tens of billions of dollars in multiple aid packages over the course of the war. I did talk to one top GOP lawmaker overnight who told me it's expected ultimately, ultimately, they will find a way to resolve the aid issue, whether it's one big bill or a few big bills. But look, complicating all of this, Savannah, don't forget the government runs out of funding in about two weeks and there's just no clear resolution in sight to any of these issues, Savannah. Yeah, a lot of tabs open there in Washington, Kristen. Thank you. Yes. I know you have a lot more. I meet the press, including an exclusive interview with Ukraine's president on his push for more aid. We will see you, Kristen, Sunday morning. Let's focus now on the tensions flaring over the war across this country. Protests on both sides have shut down highways and taken over train stations. And there continues to be disturbing incidents of anti-Semitism on college campuses. NBC's Emily Akhet is at Cornell, 
where classes are canceled today because of what school officials call, quote, extraordinary stress on students. Emily, good morning. Hoda, that's right. Good morning to you. Campus here will be unusually quiet for what's supposed to be a restorative day for students after several tumultuous weeks, including a student's arrest for allegedly making graphic anti-Semitic remarks. Coast to coast, the tenor on college campuses has been increasingly volatile and tense. I've heard from students here on both sides of the issue who are fearful of potential fallout for merely speaking out. As the war in the Middle East escalates each day... The conflict, thousands of miles away, has become a flashpoint on college campuses here in the U.S., prompting outrage and fear from students on both sides of the issue. Do you feel like campus is more divided than ever? Absolutely. With reports of discrimination rising, universities are trying to stop the surge. Columbia University announcing a task force on student safety after officials there say trucks have circled the campus, displaying and publicizing the names and photos of Arab, Muslim and Palestinian students. Malak Abu Hashem, who attends Cornell and has family in Gaza, says she's experienced something similar. Is there any part of you that's fearful and even sitting down in this interview on camera with me today? I'm I'm very, very afraid of actually. Um, I've been put on... Um, a website, and there's been articles like written about me. Cornell canceled classes today, citing extraordinary stress on campus in recent weeks. A decision announced just days after a junior at the Ivy League school was charged with making violent anti-Semitic threats, including killing Jews on campus. According to a federal complaint, Patrick Dye admitted to posting the threatening messages in an FBI interview after his arrest, but has not yet entered a plea in the case. We're very strong. We've been through a lot, but that doesn't mean that we're not affected by it. That sense of unease exacerbated by clashes like this near Tulane University in New Orleans. An Israeli flag was being burned and a brave Tulane student attempted to grab the flag before a fight broke out. College campuses have long been bastions for open and honest discussion. Tulane President Michael Fitz hopes they'll be able to find a way back to that. For students, they will remember this um, and they will remember what they learned from it and what they learned about their ability to come together as part of it. And that Cornell student facing a federal charge could face up to five years in prison if convicted. In the meantime, we've seen an increase in police presence here at Cornell and other universities alike. A Hebrew class, for instance, has a security guard here as schools grapple with increasing tensions and the threat of violence. Hoda. All right. Emily Laketa on that story for us from Cornell. Emily, thank you. Quarter after Friday morning. Good morning. Hi, Savannah. Hoda, good morning. Good morning to you as well. There's growing tension this morning on Capitol Hill over an unprecedented move by a lone Republican senator. For months now, Alabama's Tommy Turberville has single-handedly held up hundreds of top-level military promotions. And this morning, the senator is facing intense backlash from both sides of the aisle. NBC's senior Capitol Hill correspondent Garrett Hake has the very latest on this. Garrett, good morning to you. Hey, Craig. Good morning. Tuppervilla has now blocked the timely promotions of more than 350 military officers for the better part of this whole year. He hasn't budged as Democrats have railed against his tactics and military leaders have accused him of weakening national security. But now even his fellow Senate Republicans are turning against him for digging in even as two wars rage overseas. On Capitol Hill this morning, growing outrage over Senator Tommy Tuberville's unprecedented blockade of promotions for hundreds of senior military officers. I hate to have to do this, but somebody has got to listen to us, okay? 
For the past nine months, the Alabama Republican has refused to allow speedy confirmation votes on more than 350 promotions, unless the Pentagon reverses its abortion policy that provides time off and travel expenses to service members who have to seek abortions out of state. The political move now triggering a bipartisan backlash. Patience is wearing thin on both sides of the aisle over the senator's antics. Culminating in a Senate floor fight Wednesday, as Republicans tried to pass 60 military promotions one by one, with Tuberville blocking all of them. If this is the norm, who the hell wants to serve in the military when your promotion can be canned based on something you had nothing to do with? Even with wars raging in the Middle East and Ukraine, Tuberville remains defiant. If I thought there was any problem with readiness, we wouldn't be doing this. But his blockade is having an impact on military families. The Commandant of the Marine Corps, General Eric Smith, suffered a heart attack this week while doing the job of two different officers. Senate Armed Service Committee Chairman Jack Reed told Politico he thought Smith's workload contributed to his hospitalization. But Tuberville dismissed that, comparing the general's duties to his old job as Auburn's football coach. Come on, give me a break. This guy's going to work 18, 20 hours a day no matter what. That's what we do. You know, I did that for years. Still, for those officers in limbo, the delay is agonizing. Kate Marsh Lord, a military spouse, advocates for military families. Families have been serving for literally decades, and this is the first time where they are being used as political pawns. Now, Senate rules and tradition allow for any one senator to slow the process of voting down substantially. But no one has ever dragged out what are normally non-controversial votes like these for this long. The Senate can vote on these promotions one by one. In fact, they passed three of them yesterday. But it would take months of doing only that on the Senate floor to clear this backlog. Now, a growing number of senators are debating changing the rules entirely to go around Tuberville and end this blockade. Craig. Our senior Capitol Hill correspondent, Garrett Hakeforce. Garrett, thank you. All right. Let's look at the weather. We heard there's a little warm up on top. A little warm up and no rain for parts of the northeast. Breaking that streak. And look, the area of freeze and frost advisories and warnings has shrunken down from Georgia into uh, Salisbury, Maryland. We're talking about 10 million people. And the morning lows right now, even warmer than they were yesterday. New York City right now, 43, 39 in D.C., Nashville, 38, Atlanta, chilly, 39 but better than it's been. And those milder highs will continue to build to the east. Denver today near 70 degrees. That's 10 degrees above average. Oklahoma City, 68. Chicago is going to be at 57 degrees today. Then as we move on into tomorrow, New York City flirting with 60, 70 in Nashville. Springfield, Missouri going to be at 66. That's five degrees above average. And look, as we head into the weekend and into early next week, New uh, Washington, D.C., 71. Mid-70s in Atlanta. Low to mid 80s in Dallas. However, as we get into late next week, you can see colder than average temperatures in the Northeast return, but warm down through the Gulf and all the way up into the Plains. And that is your latest weather, guys. All right, Al, thank you. Uh, Still ahead, guys, new evidence coming to light at the so-called Love Triangle murder in Texas. Miguel Almaguer on that story for us. Hey, Miguel. Good morning. The evidence presented in court was graphic and prosecutors say it helped make their case, but the defense team says the defendant wasn't even at the crime scene. We'll have details on what went down in the courtroom coming up. All right, Miguel, thanks. And then we've got an inside look at the surprising side effect that some of those wildly popular drugs like Ozempic are having on the food industry and what that might mean for your future trips to the grocery store. But first on a Friday morning, this is Today on NBC. 
When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash today just go to indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash today conditions apply need to hire you need indeed we are back the iconic theme to friends streams of that song by the way tripling since the passing of matthew perry carson will have more on that and a touching new tribute in Perry's honor. That's all ahead on Popstar. Right now, though, we do have a busy half hour, and we're going to start with some new developments at the trial of a former yoga teacher charged in the headline-making murder of a professional cyclist. NBC national correspondent Miguel Almaguer joins us with the latest on this case. Miguel, good morning. Hey, Savannah, good morning. Jurors viewed graphic crime scene photos of the victim and heard from forensic scientists as well as neighbors whose security cameras captured Caitlin Armstrong's Jeep allegedly circling the crime scene, all of it as the accused killer stared stared straight ahead without any visible reaction. Jurors in Caitlin Armstrong's murder trial shown graphic images of Anna Wilson's body and the gunshot wounds which ended her life. It was very, very quiet. Uh, You could barely hear reporters typing. It was a a human moment. The jury also viewing dramatic surveillance video in which prosecutors say Wilson's screams can be heard, followed by the sound of gunshots. Two gunshots. One to the front of the head, one to the side of the head that hits the index finger as it passes. You won't hear any more screams out there. Introduced as evidence, Wilson's racing bicycle, which was found a short distance away from the crime scene and swabbed by forensic investigators for traces of DNA. Bringing that bicycle in did shift the mood a little bit and kind of almost seemed to reinvigorate the focus of a lot of people in the courtroom. Prosecutors arguing the yoga instructor stalked Wilson on a fitness app and gunned her down out of jealousy over the 25-year-old cyclist's relationship with Armstrong's one-time boyfriend, pro cyclist Colin Strickland. Armstrong's attorneys say there's no proof she was even at the scene of the crime. And you heard opening statements about all the cameras that were in the immediate vicinity of the scene of that shooting. Not one captures Caitlin Armstrong at that scene because there is a need. According to prosecutors, Armstrong, who has pled not guilty to first-degree murder, fled to Costa Rica after the killing and was on the run for more than 40 days, even having plastic surgery, they contend, to alter her appearance. She's also facing additional charges after she tried to escape custody several weeks before the trial. Armstrong's lawyer says while she has made some questionable decisions, it doesn't mean she's guilty of murder. So who else is on the witness list potentially, Miguel? 
Well, Savannah, the list of potential witnesses include Armstrong's younger sister, Christine. Armstrong had used her passport to fly to Costa Rica, but the big name to watch for, Colin Strickland, he's really the one at the center of this love triangle and this case. Savannah? All right. Miguel, thank you very much. Meanwhile, we are heading into a weekend that always ignites a great sleep debate. Most of the country will get an extra hour of sleep when the clocks fall back. But of course, the end of daylight saving time is very divisive. And people who love it, and there's people who hate it. NBC's Tom Costello is on the story for us. So, Tom, first of all, I thought Congress was, was supposed to do away with this. We all did. Uh, It never made its way to a full vote in the Congress. And so it's gone nowhere. The bottom line is Congress has not settled this debate. Bottom line is you and I are going to have to and most of the country will, in fact, turn our clocks back an hour at 2 a.m. on Sunday. Arizona, by the way, uh, and also uh, Hawaii, the two states that remain on standard time. So again, most of us falling back an hour. Spring forward, there's something to look forward to on March 10th. Uh, Fire departments, by the way, are recommending this is a good time of year to change the batteries in your smoke detectors. No surprise, as you mentioned, America is divided on this issue. Two-thirds of Americans want to stay permanently on daylight saving time, and then about a third, they don't want to change at all, or if they do, stay on standard time. America started this, by the way, back on World War I, more than 100 years ago. It was a way, they thought then, to really save on energy, and then Congress made it an official policy back in 1966. Supporters say that the extra daylight hours in the summer, that they are helpful. They they essentially are good for mental health and exercise. Some farmers say it gives them more time in their fields, and it reduces as well, car accidents. That's the argument anyway. Those opposed say, no, 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 no. This is very tough, especially on shift workers. Uh, It can lead to mistakes on the job, aggravate mood swings, depression, anxiety, not very good for pets. There's an increase in heart attacks and that we would be better off if we all stayed on our normal, natural circadian rhythms, which of course follow the sun. So again, most folks in the aggregate would like to say, stay on daylight saving time. Others want to stay on the circadian rhythm on standard time. And for the moment, that's where we're going. We're going to winter time. You got to fall back, of course, uh, come Sunday, yeah. 2 a.m. All right. Fall back we shall. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. What do you think? I mean, do you guys do you like it? Do you like uh, falling back? Uh, no, I don't. I think we should just stay on the other one. Yeah. Whatever, I don't get it. Whatever, whatever the other, other one was. In Arizona, we didn't celebrate daylight saving time. Yeah. You know? Like we, yeah. So I didn't, imagine, I never understand imagine it. Imagine if a country said, okay, everybody, we're going to turn our <laughs> clocks back. And we didn't. We'd be like, what, what up with doing? them? What, what are they doing? It's like time. Lip. Isn't it supposed to just be time? Yes. You can't fool with it. Still ahead. Apparently, right? Still ahead. One of our. A visits to one of the nation's oldest and most infamous prisons as well, where a revolutionary program is having quite the impact on people far beyond its walls. And incarcerated individuals started the program themselves. It's be a really touching mm-hmm. story. But first, let's get to Vicky. She's got a surprising impact of the Ozempic craze. I know, it's nuts. Good morning, Savannah Hoda and Craig. Skyrocketing sales of drugs like Ozempic, Mount Jaro, Wagovi, things that can help you with weight loss. They're having major implications on other industries like snacks, the airlines, even the environment. I'll explain how. That's next, right here on Today. If you ever needed to be persuaded that bad things can happen anywhere, then take a journey with us. 
from compelling mysteries to in-depth investigations, our Dateline episodes are available as podcasts. Follow Dateline NBC now to get new episodes every Tuesday. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. Great storytelling with a twist from the True Crime Original. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops on. TVs streaming. Game console console. Smart thermostat set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera. Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go. You are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet. Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film The Aviators. Now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. We are back 741 in depth today. This morning, a new impact of drugs like Ozempic that have become so popular for weight loss. Mm-hmm. So a sales surge, it's having quite an impact on the bottom lines of some of the nation's most recognized food and beverage brands. NBC's Vicki Wynn is here to explain something we hadn't thought about, Vicki. Yeah, good morning, Hoda, Savannah, and Craig. Some experts are saying Ozempic's results are so impressive. They're not just changing the way we eat. They're creating a surprising ripple effect on Wall Street and beyond. The diabetes drug Ozempic, often prescribed off-label for weight loss, is back in the headlines, this time for its skyrocketing sales. Its parent company, Danish pharmaceutical giant Novo Nordisk, reporting this week that sales of the drug are up 58% so far this year, raking in a reported $8.4 billion in revenue. The new class of drugs, known as GLP-1s, which includes Ozempic, Wagovi and Manjaro work to suppress appetite, which means users reach for sugary and salty foods less often. We have some patients who describe just a general decrease in that hunger. Some patients describe a complete absence of appetite. But according to financial analysts, the soaring popularity of the drugs has some Wall Street investors betting against the future of snacks and beverages that have driven the obesity problem. The S&P Food and Beverage Index reporting a 12% drop over the past three months. Although it's hard to prove a direct correlation between the growing popularity of Ozempic and the recent stock falloff, the effects of the changing eating behaviors could go beyond the snack industry, too. One study done by the Jefferies Financial Group found that if the average airline passenger lost 10 pounds, it could dramatically impact how much fuel planes need to fly, equating to $80 million in savings in annual fuel costs per airline. And what about the potential effect on weight loss surgery? Johnson & Johnson CEO telling NBC News in a statement, We are seeing some impact in our bariatric business in the short term as patients are reconsidering surgery, but adding that some bariatric surgeons believe going forward, the drugs and surgeries will be used together to help people lose unwanted weight. Jenny Zegler, the director of Mental Food and Drink, thinks concerns over the impact of the drug's popularity are inflated. I'm not entirely sure that the food and beverage industry is going to be massively affected by this. Many companies have been on the path to creating healthier food and drink for quite a long time. Adding that getting the drugs is still a challenge. They're still very expensive. They are not as easily accessible. They're not covered by insurance. For Melanie Menar, who says she's been on Ozempic for over two years, the drugs have been life-changing. But in the end, she says they're not a miracle. 
there's this big misconception that the medication does everything for you. Side effects were off. Your hunger comes back. Um, your food choices become much more important. I mean, no doubt, Vicky, these drugs are wildly popular. As they become even more popular, what's next for them? A few developments to watch out for, Craig. One, Novo and Eli Lilly, two big makers, they're actually in clinical trials right now for oral versions of these drugs. That could be a real game changer. Something else, access. A lot of patients are pushing for better insurance coverage because Mm -hmm. these medications are so expensive. Here's the thing. Long term, what do we know? I mean, the the snack and beverage industry says we've survived diet trends in the past. But if we have overall real weight loss in this country, Americans are lighter. The implications could be really broad, not just on industry, but on healthcare itself. That's a good point. Thank you, Vic. Thanks, Vic. Thank you, Vicky. Weekend. Speaking of the weekend, Mr. Mm-hmm. Roker, how are we yeah. looking? Well, things are pretty good, except for our friends in the Pacific Northwest. Another big storm system, this atmospheric river coming on in, bringing clouds, showers, and even some heavy rain with the possible localized flooding. Locally, upwards of five inches of more for anywhere from Seattle all the way down to Crescent City and Eureka. Now, as far as the weekend is concerned, plenty of sunshine. Look at this. The eastern half of the country going to be gorgeous. A few showers in upstate New York, heavy rain continuing in the Pacific Northwest in between. It is going to be fantastic. And then as we go into Sunday, Sunday, we are looking at lots of sunshine, pleasant weather through the Gulf Coast, sunny skies as you make your way into the Southwest, but more rounds of rain into the Pacific Northwest and parts of Northern California. And that's your latest weather. <laughs> Al, thank, thank you, you Al. so much. Coming up, remember we were talking about the new ad from the yeah. Stars of Mean Girls yesterday? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Mr. Roker, apparently what you and Carson had to say caught the attention of none other than Tina Oh, Faye. wait, yeah. gosh, that? she shade them? Well, we're going to have to find you, out in Pop Stars. shade? Oh, I got to see. Okay, and then we got Hoda's Morning Boost. Is it a you? good one? I think it's a great one. Yeah. I want to know about this. Well, you'll have to find out. Would you say what's Yeah. Oh, yeah. Carson's joined the party just in time for the boost. We're going to restore your faith in human beings and the goodness of people. So let's go back to Halloween night for this morning's boost. Two kids captured on a doorbell camera. They went above and beyond to do the right thing. They were trick-or-treating, and they noticed there was a candy bowl on the porch that was totally empty. Bro, we took all the dude's candy. Here. We're giving back. That's right. They took their own candy. They put it in that bowl so the other kids could have it. Now, somehow the word got back to the parents about what happened. And here's what one of the moms had to say about it. To know and actually see the evidence that you're doing right by your kids. The best feeling in the world. As a parent, as a mom. Oh, it's the best. It's the absolute best. That's why I'm crying. Did good. Uh, By the way, the homeowner saw that uh, on her Nest camera. Said the incident, uh, quote, restored her faith in humanity and good parenting. Uh, wow. So whoever their parents are, as we saw, doing an amazing job. And amazing yeah. kids, too. Yep. Amazing I kids. Love that. Don't. All right. I don't know. Don't. I don't know. You know what? Carson, go. Maybe a little, oh, no, look no. a little stage. Carson. Carson. Lighting was good. You see the no, look at that kid's face? Carson. He's like toys for life. <laughs>